please welcome to the Apple Store Covent Garden in London, tonight's host, Chris Hewitt. Tonight's guest is a writer, a producer. He's a star of Space, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, Paul and Cuban Fury. He's now also an author. He's written Truths, Half-Truths, A Little White Lies, and it is fantastic. Will you please welcome the great Nick Frost. Hello, hello boys and girls. Oh. So, you are an author. Yeah. You are, this is on the bookshelves right now. You have how many copies? Uh, I'm contractually allowed 20. 20, okay. Do you have 20 or? <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna do with those tw that 20? Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I, I, they're under the stairs and they may stay <laughs> under the stairs to be honest. Give them out. I just think it, 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 feels, it feels so indulgent giving away your own book. It's a good thing though. I you think, think? Yeah, yeah, I did this, now read it and let me know what you think later on. I did, yeah. Did, did it feel real for you the first time you got the hardback in your hands? Well, you kind of get a few different versions, you know, uh, but there was still that, it, I think, I, I, oddly, it's about touch and smell for me. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm like a mole in that respect. <laughs> you know, I, if I can open the book and smell it and yeah. feel the pages. I yeah. even remember emails to m my editor saying, uh, I'd love to get some some like smells and some pages that I could touch and <laughs> see what it was like. You okay, know. okay. I think people are quite tactile with books. Yeah, you know? they are, absolutely. So, you're, but you're not suggesting, for example, that some of the pages had smells in, well, I wanted <laughs> inserted into them. <laughs> I wanted to feel what some of the pages were like, different okay. yeah. weights and vellums and, mm. and I don't know what the, what the page version of Denier is, but whatever <laughs> that is, you know. So, uh, how did the book come about for you? Uh, well, I... I had like three or four months off last year and rather than sit around doing nothing which often leads to insanity for me I thought I'd sit in my office and write try and write down everything I could remember from my childhood mm -hmm. before I couldn't remember it you know yeah sure and I you know I got to a point where I kind of sadly don't have any any parents anymore and I think even though I know a lot about my parents you know mm. I, there are some things that I, I will now never know, and I didn't necessarily, being a father now, want my son to have to, you know, ha have, have that. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, I think I'm always keen now that people ask questions of their parents because their parents are people, and, you know, even though they are parents, they're also fallible and frightened and nervous and worried about things, and they... Cover your ears, kids. They get horny, and <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. They're people too, and I think I, re I realized that from quite an early age, and yeah. I didn't ask enough questions when I had the chance. So, how did you find out? Obviously, you had recollections, you have memories, but uh, how did you find out? <laughs> yes, all the other stuff. How did you? Was there detective work involved in finding out? About no, your I mean, I think I have pretty great recall, yeah. and uh, you know, I, there are journals and stuff, and I keep journals, and I mean. J Sometimes just scraps of things or three or four pages of... of can, I, can I drink this water? Yeah, absolutely. Three or four pages of stuff and, you know, listening to music and I just did it generation by generation or decade by decade, by decade and, okay. and, and saw what I could remember and then kind of built around those memories, you know. So when you, when you sat down to write for the first time, did you think this will see publication one day? Or was it more of an exercise for yourself, getting it onto the page and for your, for your son and... Yeah, I mean, I never imagined that I was going to 
publish it. I think I was just going to write it all in a big, new, lovely note notebook and then just leave it to be <laughs> discovered in, in, in 2081 <laughs> and then thrown away. Uh, you know, I didn't want it necessarily to be published. I just wanted to write something down. And hmm. um, I think I had a meeting with Hodder, who published the book, and, and uh, you know, she said, put some pages together and... And I decided to write it kind of in a more kind of prose fashion and put mm. a story around it. And, uh, and after doing that, they said, yeah, do you want to you wanna publish it? And that was in like February and, and I'd finished in June. Wow. So did you have a, a process? How did you go about it? I just it? wrote. I just worked. I just got up every day and some, you know, uh, often I have trouble sleeping. Um, and so if I'm up at half past three or four a.m., then I'll probably work. Wow. And I'd work until seven, then I'd go and see my son for two hours, mm -hmm. then I'd come back and work from half nine till half three or four, and then by that time I usually felt justified to go and have a pint. <laughs> and that was that, you know. Are we working exclusively on the book at this point? Because I know you have some mm, other projects. Yeah, no, I was well. shooting Huntsman. I was shooting a movie as well at the same okay. time, which wow. is idiocy. I'll never do it again. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's fine at the beginning, but then toward the end when you realize you've you, your time is literally running out and you have, yeah. to, uh, you have to bring the, you know, your computer in and work sat in, in dwarf makeup, <laughs> you know, which is quite odd when you catch yourself in the mirror yeah. and you're dressed <laughs> yeah. as a dwarf hunched over a computer doing your memoir. <laughs> Did you have uh, dwarf gloves on, dwarf No, my hands were uh, uh, a dwarf, okay. dwarf like enough, apparently. They were unencumbered by makeup. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's good. I was just, uh, just double-checking. So you, you basically wrote from the heart, from the hip, yeah. in a way. You didn't have notes, you didn't write down Well, stuff. I did. I wrote lots of notes. As I said, I went through, you know, I, I tried to remember everything I could remember from the 70s. Yeah. And I had photographs, and I listened to music, like, number ones from the 70s. And, you know, usually looking at an old photograph, I can pretty much remember how, where I, <laughs> this goes back to smell again. I can pretty much remember where I was and how it smelt or okay. how this felt or, you know, I have kind of good recall in that. Mm -hmm. So I wrote everything I could about the 70s, then the 80s, then secondary school and rugby and the canal trip, <laughs> which, we were, which we went on a lot. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I just went through yeah. everything. Wow. And obviously, the older I got, the more photos I have of these things and the more memories are just kind of ready, ready, readily available. Mm. So I kind of, you know, wrote all these headings down mm. and, then, and then saw if I could, I could, what I could remember and whether or not I could get a decent story out of it and, and where it linked into the rest, of, uh, the rest of my story. You know, certain passages kind of um, just, just wrote themselves, really. Yeah. Uh, and it was a question of getting the balance right in terms of trying to tell people what happened and what my childhood was like, and at the same time making it funny and something that people would read and not want to kill themselves afterwards, you know. Uh, yeah. Having a balance, that's yeah. what I wanted to do. And, yeah. and hope, you know, hopefully I've kind of done that. The, the book is fantastic. Uh, it really is. It's funny and it's moving. And uh, it's... It was surprising to me in a way how, because a, a lot of celebrity memoirs and autobiographies, you feel sometimes shy away from the darkness in people's lives. Right. Right from page one, you, em you embrace that. Yeah. Uh, but there's humor there as well to, yeah. to, to leaven that. But can you, can, you, can you talk about why that was so important to you to really tackle the, um, the darkness in your, in your childhood in particular? Yeah, I just wanted to be honest, you know. I think I'm quite an honest person and, uh, and to, 
write an autobiography and not include any of that, it's, it, 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 it seemed crazy, you know, how could I not include the fact my mum was an alcoholic and, you know, my dad died and these are things that made me the person I am today, you yeah. know, good or bad. Yeah. Uh, and so to avoid those things seemed, seemed a bit bonkers. And, you know, I met with another publisher before Hodder and, and I said, you know, I, I, I will do this, but I want to do it how I want to do it. I don't want to make it a celebrity memoir. Hearing celebrities talk in memoirs or even in interviews about getting off a first-class flight and feeling tired makes me want to punch someone. Uh, because it's... It, it's, it, I don't know, it seems, like, it seems like they're kind of shitting on people who really work hard, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's kind of rude. And, and in terms of the average punter in the street, that kind of waffle that you're talking about is, is unknowable and unattainable. So mm. to me, that seems fairly uninteresting. So yeah. I think the story of someone who, whose mother struggled with alcoholism and who we lost everything and then my father and brother and sister died you know that the, those things to me as as uh, as touchstones seem more real than than uh, eating foie gras in a on a beach in fiji you know that's a sequel that is the <laughs> sequel yeah that will be out in 2018 <laughs> so uh, in terms of in terms of the um uh, again the, the darkness was there anything that you censored I mean, you say you're very honest. It seems to be, it seems to be all in there, unexpurgated. And, you <laughs> yeah, know. no. Uh, yeah. No, I mean... But that said, this was the book that was written. This is what came out. You know, I could probably yeah. have done three or four different versions of it with different bits in and different stories. But in terms of the, the main <laughs> bits, then no, no, I don't think I did yeah. at all. And over the years, I mean, at least topics, or at least something that... Um, at least things that you've been guarded about in interviews... Previously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to talk about certain things when you're doing like an interview for T4, you know <laughs> what I mean, or some pap, or yeah. you think, well, I don't necessarily want to give all that away, but because people don't need to know. But when when it's on my own terms and it's how I'd want to do it and it's how I'd want to explain everything and not get cut off mid-story and yeah. show <laughs> show an item about kids playing golf you know it's <laughs> it seems more valid that i get a chance to yeah. write it how i wanted to write it you know absolutely but as you say it, it is as well uh very funny and the the, the book is called truths half truths on little white lies uh, imagine this up to the reader to decipher which is which yeah <laughs> but, yeah but have you it's like that? a legal thing in case <laughs> someone gets to say no that never happened i can say yeah that was the little white lies bit you know <laughs> did you have any alternate titles at any point uh, it was truths, half truths, and uh, utter bullshit at first. So okay. I think that was the yeah. original right. title. And then I, I, my business brain kicked in, or my my <laughs> marketing brain kicked in, and said they wouldn't be able to call it that anywhere you go to sell the. You know, I just it's did Simon Mayo, and he couldn't have said the full <laughs> title. And I didn't want anyone to say and, you know, <laughs> truths, half truths, and is available. You know. I don't so, think Simon Mayo has ever sworn in his life. No, no. So that would, have been, that would have been a bad thing to that would have say been. that word. <laughs> um, kudos as well for avoiding a pun in the title. Yeah. I'm not sure I could have done that. I wouldn't have had that willpower. No, I think I, did a, I found a couple of puns. Okay. Uh, well, you know, Frost is pretty good. Uh, I thought the best one was Frost, Nick's one, <laughs> which is a play on words of the film Frost Nixon, obviously. <laughs> yeah, the Frost Report, obviously... Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot there, but I thought, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it would seem at odds to have a hilarious pun <laughs> on the cover and then talk about my mum's terrible alcoholism. <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of jars with me. <laughs> but um, you do have a little white lie studded throughout the piece. Yeah. Uh, there is one that springs to mind. I'm not going to give too much away, but there's a, a Nick gets into a scrape, a fight with bullies towards the end of the book. And I imagine <laughs> that's a little white lie. I want, there's an element of that that's a little white lie. Yeah, well, yeah. you mean the Jack Reacher style? Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that didn't happen at all. Okay. I wish it did happen. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I won't, I won't give too much away, but it's, it's quite graphic what happens. But, um, but in, terms of the, in terms of the truths, I mean, you, you, you're talking about your, your parents and stuff, but obviously your career and your, uh, and your, your friendship with Simon Pegg plays a, a big part in it as well. Um, Simon's obviously written a memoir as well. Did you have? Did you talk to him beforehand and talk to him about what was going to go in the book and how you're going to represent the, the the friendship that the two of you have? No, I like to think that he probably just he hasn't read it, you know. So I'm um, uh, I think I think I'm hoping he'll be really honoured because it's nothing but gushing and and amazing. You know, it's it's you can actually when you read the book, it gets to a point where I meet Simon, and suddenly the whole tone just kind of lifts, you know, yeah. and that that. That is probably indicative of, of my own spirit at that point. You know, it was mm. it was him and our friendship that, amongst other things, you know, that that made me forget what was at home. You know, because mm. at that point in your life, you were working as a, <laughs> I was going to say waitress, say cocktail yeah. bar, <laughs> but um, um, and uh, I guess in a way, you talk about it in the book that you felt you were going nowhere in life, really. Yeah, but yes, absolutely. I was a waiter. And I was a pretty good waiter. Mm. I was probably the third or fourth funniest waiter in Chiquito's Staples Corner. <laughs> um, uh, who was the funniest? Um, uh, oh, there, was a, there was a guy called Larry okay. who looked a bit like Rango. <laughs> uh, and he got stopped one Saturday night. He didn't come into work. And the, 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 the rumor was that the police had found a Kalashnikov in the boot of his taxi. Oh, my God. And he never came back. We never saw him again. Wow. So Larry. if you're out there, Larry, contact <laughs> us, because we miss you. Got so many tips waiting for Larry. Yeah, Larry's got 40 pounds of the tip. <laughs> uh, what was the question? Uh, the question was about how you got started uh, in, uh, being a waiter at Chiquitos. But um, I will say very quickly, you do stick up for waiter, waiters in the yeah. book. And, yeah. um, I even thank them in the acknowledgments. Indeed. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm pro, pro food service professional. <laughs> but again, I also, it's all about service, you know. TIPS is an acronym. It's uh, to induce prompt service. Mm. That's what it means. And, you know, if uh, it, there are a lot of bad waiters out there who just imagine that you just tip them because mm. you're sat in their section. But, you know, a good waiter who knows exactly the kind of service you need, mm. when to be buddy-buddy, when to back away, when to leave you, you know, is, is a thing of beauty. Do you, uh, do you judge waiters more harshly? Yeah, than? absolutely yeah. I do, yeah. Yeah. And then and then tip accordingly. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, even in, in, in terms of being a waiter, even the worst waiter I, who serves me, I'll still probably give a ten or two, because okay. I know that it's a kind of yeah. shit job, you know. Yeah. So don't give. Well, try and give Nick good service, just in case you ever serve him one day. But uh, and you, it'll be worth your while. But Simon, uh, so you're working as a as a waiter at Chiquitos, and and Simon came into your life indirectly, didn't he? Yeah, there was a waitress at the time, um, who I'm not going to name. Who was a? She became a really good friend of mine, and and she was sweet and funny and, and and beautiful, and she was a great waitress. 
And then I found out she had a boyfriend and I was like, <laughs> what a shame, you know. And then I kind of met him one night at a party in, in my apartment. And, and that, that man was Simon Pegg. Mm. And pretty soon we, we forgot her and, and the, the, <laughs> the, real, the real love story emerged. <laughs> um, when did you know? When did you know? Oh, it was pretty soon. It was pretty, you know, I think, I think on, on the balcony when we both did a really good David Coleman impression. <laughs> that says something. David, I don't know if everyone knows, David Coleman was an old sports commentator. Um, and we did him. Right. And, uh, and we did Matthew, the kindly Nigerian from Desmond's, uh, which was an old sitcom about a Jamaican hairdresser's. Um, and then, like, two, we spent, like, two weeks together hanging out and meeting after work with, you know, his then-girlfriend. And, and then we went for a... There was, there's an Indian restaurant uh, called the Pink Rupee in Cricklewood, mm. which, which does, I hope it still does, a fantastic butter chicken. <laughs> um, and we were there a lot, you know. We'd go after work and all the waiters were there. And one night there was, like, 10 or 12 of us and we ended up sitting opposite one another. Right. And and he, I'm not going to do the noise because uh, <laughs> some, someone I did it this morning on BBC Breakfast, and then someone tweeted saying it was a hackneyed story, and I wanted to literally climb in my phone and, and beat <laughs> beat that man to death. Um, uh, I'm going off message. Don't beat anyone to death. <laughs> Don't uh, do that. Yeah. yeah, but it was the noise of a little mouse droid that Chewbacca yeah. scares off, and he did it yeah. with like he was doing it, moving like a a, a cruet around like a salt <laughs> cellar, and he did it, and like we literally. Look, looked at each other as if to say, I know, I know what you're doing, you know. <laughs> and that was the point. We kind of fell for one another. Yeah, absolutely. And, oh, uh, you know, we, and we just fell deeper and deeper in love. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've fallen for each other like a, a thousand times over 20 years. Okay. So sometimes somebody will do something and it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, but obviously you're both very busy these days. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, I guess you don't live in each other's pockets the way you used to, but when, when was the last time you, you spoke to each other? Um, we probably text each other 20 times a day. Okay. Uh, sometimes not, you know, it gets to yeah. a point where, obviously, you know, sometimes when we were like 27, 28, if we didn't speak to each other for like half a day, <laughs> it would hurt. <laughs> you know, well, we, like, there'd actually be a physical longing. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of not there anymore, but there are days yeah. when we'll text saying, hey, yeah. I miss you, man. Oh, man. But g generally, there's like 10, 20 a day. Yeah. And they'll just be about nothing, about rubbish, mm. you know. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, so back, back in the day, Simon encouraged your, your comedic skills and, and uh, it got you to uh, try stand-up. Yeah. Which is something you've talked about in the past, but in the book, you go into excruciating detail about <laughs> how awful some of the gigs were. Yeah. That, that, you, that you did. Um, was that, uh, can you talk about that a little bit, but also how, did that damage your confidence in a way? Were you becoming more aware of how funny you were? And then No, I mean, I think, I did 12 gigs as a stand-up and, and six were pretty good. I almost, my first gig, I almost won a competition, which I thought was amazing. And then at the end, I think there was some, some kind of impropriety in terms of the judging and I lost after I'd been told I won. And it got to a point that when, when they said, and the winner is, I kind of did this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then they said someone else's name. But I, I, I hid this, the stand-up with a, like a, 
so yeah, it was. I, you know, I think the first one I ever did was the best one I ever did. Okay. And then from that point on, it kind of went went downhill. Oh man. But some of them, you know what? I think my problem was I was I didn't have my own voice. Mm. You know, I loved Sean Locke and, and Reeves and Mortimer, mm. and you know Harry Hill and that whole kind of surrealist comedy comedy movement that was happening in the kind of I'd say the kind of mid 90s you know early mm. to mid 90s and I wanted to do that but I didn't realize that you could do that and have your own voice still you know yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't very confident and I'd have like like I'd have I'd have to write my set on my hand okay and then okay. if someone heckled I'd be like <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> hang on, like and that, just that feeling of standing in. If it's, it's a bit like doing this, to be honest. Like standing in front of a hundred people and no one's laughing, and you're just looking <laughs> at your hands, thinking, uh, "What am I gonna say next?" And then whatever you say next, people just kind of, kind of hate it. Yeah, yeah. And then you're booed off, and it's like I just couldn't. I wasn't good at that feeling. Yeah. But yeah. someone, you know, a decent comedian would, would tear into a, a, yeah. a, you know, a comedy audience who, who were, you know, messing with him. So uh, clearly you've never been tempted to try it since. No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> really enough. <laughs> I was, ha- you know, I'm kind of just happy. I think I found my medium. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In television and film, you know. Yeah. Uh, what are you happier doing these days? Uh, acting, writing? I like it. Oh, really? I, you know, I didn't. I, I, I think I like being on a set. I love being on a film set, you know, and, and shooting a film. But I also, there's something nice about that solitude of waking up and, and putting your computer on every morning and knowing that I have to do a minimum of a thousand words, you know. Mm. I kind of like that too. But I, again, it, it does become very repetitive and I think I'd probably do quite well in prison. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just having that same thing day in, day out. And, and sure. Uh, because you actually, this isn't your first attempt at writing a book. You've written, you wrote one before, didn't you? I did, yeah. I, yeah. Wrote, I wrote a book when I was 21. I lived yeah. in Israel for, for two years when I was like 18. Uh, I think I wrote one when I was like 24, actually. Okay. Um, but there was like a, a, a waitress at Chiquitos that I really fancied and liked to... <laughs> To, to show off to her, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to write a book and stuff, and, <laughs> and so I did, I started it, but I didn't have a table, I didn't, I've, never, I've never written a book yet on a table, right. uh, I wrote this one on a box, okay. sitting on a, uh, a big box, okay. uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah my, other, my other book, um, An Alcoholic's Guide to the Holy Land, uh-huh. I wrote by sitting on an ironing board, <laughs> and I wrote on a, t- on a typewriter, uh, and yeah, I wrote a whole novel just to impress a girl. Wow. And only one copy exists? No. Go I on. have a copy and she has a copy. Oh, two copies now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's awful. <laughs> it's really terrible. I mean, there are some good ideas, but grammatically, uh, it, it, I mean, it's terrible. Mm. It's like Morrissey's novel. <laughs> well, I got but published. not as good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. I mean, if I, think, if, I ever, <laughs> if I ever do another book, I might do it like you can, if you buy my book, you get that for free. Who would do that? Who would buy that? There you go. Five people. That's there we go. Good. That's <laughs> good. It's probably, worth, it's probably worth it. 
Uh, are you writing anything at the moment? What are you working on? No, I've got. I think I I'm, I might start doing a novel. I've got, I have a really good idea for a kind of Ray Bradbury, you know, dis, uh, dis, uh, dystopic future uh, thing. I kind of love that idea of okay. being alone uh, in a city. Mm. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got an idea for something like that, and, and right. lots and lots of things. You know, the thing about any ideas are I've, I've put lots and lots and lots of ideas on my phone, and mm. and every now and again I'll go through them all and think, oh, that was pretty good. That's a pretty good idea, and mm. you know, try and develop something or, or try and think, well, oh, is this good for television, or is could this be a film, or you know? So I'm always kind of popping things down. So do you have a preference in terms of writing for the screen or writing a book? Is um, it, are they completely different processes? No, not really. I mean, I think this idea I have could be a small novel, which I could probably bang out in three months, just mm -hmm. a first draft. So I might just have a go and see what happens and okay. then pimp it around. I did a graphic novel. I did a kid's graphic novel, which hasn't been published, called mm -hmm. the, the Homesick Swedish Mice, okay. um, about Viking mice that live in Richmond and decide mm -hmm. to go home and steal a big ship and sail it across the North Sea. <laughs> it's like, it's literally 250 pages long. <laughs> so I think there is some editing to be done, but there's a lovely story there, you know. Get it down to 170, you should be fine. It's yeah, all, it's all 150, good. Max. Because <laughs> you wrote the first draft of, uh, of Paul. Yeah. Didn't you? I mean, that, that was quite a large first draft yeah. when it came in. Well, Simon, what was Simon doing? Simon was shooting something. Okay. And he just he didn't have the time to do it. And so I kind of felt... You know, it could have slipped away if these things aren't kind of dealt with straight away. So I went and hired, like, I went and stayed in a room in, in a hotel in, like, Gloucestershire for two weeks. And they had, like, a little sitting room that you could hire, okay. which overlooked this really nice lake and a little forest. And I went there and, and I wrote for 10 hours a day, every day for two weeks, and ended up with, like, a 220-page... Wow. First draft. Wow, wow, wow. Which had like, like us breaking into a dog farm and then there was a massive, like the end, there was like a, a, a giant tornado, like three tornadoes chasing us. <laughs> and it was a thing like a, the, like a theory that tornadoes were in fact devices that aliens used to hide their craft okay. and they were inside, you know. Yeah. And it was, I think they... You know, they priced it up, and the film was like <laughs> 400 million to make or something ridiculous. Amazing. So, so the, the writing relationship with Simon, yeah. was that something that was always inevitable, I guess, given how close you guys were? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, Edgar and I started writing first, I think. Okay. Uh, you know, me and him um, hired a cottage down in Wells years ago, like 15 years ago. And he, I mean, the idea that he was pitching to me then w suddenly became World's End in the oh, end. Oh, right, okay. Or a version of it, you know. Yeah. But w we went down there with the intention of writing, and what we actually did was we hired a nice car <laughs> and then drove around Cheddar listening to the Blue Tones album Science and Nature <laughs> really loudly, and we didn't do any work at all. We drank brandy and stuff. Not while driving, that would be wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, we didn't do any work really. Okay. And then obviously Edgar and Simon developed a, you know, Simon and Jess, and then Edgar and Simon developed a, mm -hmm. a, a voice. And I think Simon and I had written a sitcom before, which got commissioned, and then we never made it in the end because the channel were kind of saying, well, well, we want so and so to play these parts, and we didn't want to cast who the channel wanted us to cast, so we decided to just 
walk away. Okay, so it wasn't for you guys to star in. Yeah, I mean, we okay. were two of the okay. other, but they wanted the other, the sure. other people, you know. Um, so we didn't do it in the end. So we kind of dabbled a bit, and we weren't sure, and it was that weird thing. Eventually, we were like, well, why, why aren't we writing together, you know? And so mm. we, we did Paul. Yeah. And, uh, and since then, we've, we've got lots of little ideas. So I think, I think me, Edgar, and Simon will do something first, and then me and Simon have a great idea for a little in-betweener that we're going to Oh, okay. Do, Interesting. Which so kind of works better the older we get. Okay, okay. You've never played enemies. Or, or lovers. <laughs> <laughs> or, it's interesting you go straight to lovers. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the thought of doing a sex scene in a bed with Simon is the weirdest thing in the world for me, by the way. Uh, yeah, we've never played enemy. Oh, I suppose Gary King and, and um, yeah. you know, Andy, mm. Andy Knightley were kind of enemies, but only because they had beef, you know. I think yeah. they really liked each other absolutely. deep down. But... Yeah, enemies would be fantastic. That would be fun to watch this space. Uh, if you have any questions for Nick, raise your hands and we can get some... I felt like you were going to say, if you've got any questions, ring in 0800. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a toll-free cool. number. Uh, we uh, yes, please. Would you ever consider doing a follow-up to Paul? No, I mean, we, we did. We thought about it and we had lots of ideas. One was like Paul came back down and said, hey, we, he, we need your help back up on my planet and... I think that, that, that Paul was so expensive as, 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 a, as an effect that we laughed that it, it, it would be a planet with one alien on it, uh, which seemed <laughs> kind of crazy. And I think, uh, sadly, I think the thing is, if, if films don't make what studios imagine them to make, then you just don't get a second one. And that's the, that's the cut and thrust of... of Current filmmaking, you know, it's not about, oh, well, it, it, it did pretty good, but, you know, it, it wasn't The Martian, you know. Mm. Uh, yes, please, user. Yeah, you. Here, yeah, with the hand. Sorry, now I've got four questions because oh, right. I said that just... Don't be greedy. <laughs> they, they are very... Uh, can I choose two of them? Do one, <laughs> and then if no one else wants, I will come back. And what's your name? Uh, my name's Luke. It could be. It could turn into the Nick, Chris, and Luke show. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get my breath now. <laughs> Jeez. Um, he was saying about the follow-up of Paul. Like you're saying about how much it costs just for Paul. Yeah. Like if there was only Paul there, and then if everyone else was just abandoned for the, when you said. Yeah. Um, about the all the characters coming back in and then yeah. trying to help. Save the universe, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I thought about that as an idea, because, you know, like, young Skip generation... Skip to the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know when young generation have, like, r like, really good ideas as well? Yeah. Yeah. I've very got quite a few. Write them down. <laughs> write them all down. You know, it's important to have an idea, and don't, no matter how crazy it seems, just write it down, you know. It mm. could come up trumps in... You might be going through an old notebook in 20 years' time and think, hey, that was a good idea. There you go, it's a pep talk. Why? How old are you? I'm 15. Yeah, I didn't start writing until I was 40. True, it's true. There's, you know, it's never too late. It's not like, you know, it, you can start acting and writing at any point in your life. Oh, I, have, I have started acting since I was about two years old. All right, well, there, there's a start. There you go. I could sense that, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, who? Oh, I'll come back to you, Luke. Uh, Thanks, Luke. Uh, who, yes, please. 
Okay, so if you're getting up in the morning and you've got to write so many pages, what is it that inspires you? And is it your own personal stories? How much um, are you including of like real life stories? And how much is fiction? And, and what's the inspiration? Um, well, for this book, you know, a lot of it is... Well, it's an autobiography, so it's all life stories. But a question is trying to make it funny, you know, trying to make it almost a story amongst, you know, what the stories that, you know what I mean? Trying to make it more like a, a novelization of my own life. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you know, I wanted to make it, uh, that's, I mean, the, that, the clue is in the title with a little white lie bit, you know. Is, is lying a theme that's run throughout your life? <laughs> yeah, I'm an actor. I, I'm, a, I'm a professional liar. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not an MP yet, so I'll get to that point. <laughs> but yeah, um, my inspiration is, is my son, essentially, and, and wanting to give him, you know, perhaps the life I, shouldn't, I didn't have, you know. Um, you, you said that you're, you're an actor, a professional liar, and you came to acting <laughs> quite late in life. Yeah. Um, you talk about it in the book again, but how nervous were you the night before? You did space for the first time. Uh, I was up all night being sick. Um, I didn't sleep. I don't sleep a, uh, before jobs. Even now, you know, there will be the night I, I, I don't sleep and I feel sick. <laughs> uh, wow. It, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a good feeling. I don't fear it anymore. But then I feared it and thought, oh, I'm dying. I'm going <laughs> to die the night before my uh, big job, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's just part of my process, I guess, that I feel like that and then... The second I get up, I don't feel like that, and it just drifts away throughout the day, and I kind of like it Fantastic. a little bit. But then it was, it was just terrible, you know, just terrible nerves, and you can see me blushing a little bit during Spaced and oh, really? having to do... When you do a read-through, when you read a script-through, <coughs> everyone has a script, and it's like a giant table like this in the middle, and, and what you'll do is everyone will sit down, and there will probably be 50 studio heads and heads of department and stuff and everyone goes round and says their name and what they do yeah. and I could see it getting closer to me and I could feel the closer it got the more my tension rose until it got to me and I was like yeah my name is Nick Frost I'm playing my what <laughs> and then it went and then someone else got to do it you know and I felt a lot better but that's still even now that's still a bit yeah you know a bit nerve wracking oh man amazing uh, any more questions do you have a question yes, thank you Hi, Nick. Hey. Um, I was actually just wondering what was more stressful for you, becoming a professional dancer for Cuban Fury, <laughs> just like you said at the last question answer at the App Store, I think, yeah. or writing this book? Like, is it more stressful to be, like, really physical or just sitting down and doing the stuff? Because uh, I'm a student, <laughs> you know? So. Uh, the, the different different um, aspects of, you know, pardon me, uh, having to... Having to you know, do like a two-minute show dance in front of 400 of the world's best salsa dances is, <laughs> is not without its stress levels. You know, it was, it was terribly stressful, but doing it, doing it and knowing that that seven-month period of training was all for that and it worked and it looked amazing, you know, it's kind of worth it. And this was different, you know, this... You can hide... Be I could hide behind Bruce Garrett on Cuban Fury because it's not me, but this book is me, you know, it's... It's, it, it's uh, you know, everything that 
and not everything, but it's it's my life and it's everything that happened to me and and it's kind of hard to it's a hard read, you know, and and it was even harder to live through it, but you never realize that when you're in it, so to speak, you know what I mean? So any any if anyone's got anything bad to say about this book, it, that you, what you're saying is it's bad about, you know, you're, you're saying my life and my family is bad. So it's, this is much, much more personal. And mm. I wouldn't lie to you, I wouldn't be lying to you if I said that in a month when all the press is over, I will breathe a sigh of relief. You know, I feel like I can kind of go, <laughs> go back into hiding again in my little house in Twickenham and, and, and enjoy my, my, my cat and having an afternoon pint. You know, that's... That's kind of who I am. This here talking about an awful childhood and an alcoholic mother and a father who who died is 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 very is very difficult, you know. Luke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Is that? Yeah. Thank you. Hi, Nick. Would you ever consider doing a voiceover for computer games? Uh, I think I just did one. Yeah. Oh, you are, oh, and my son asked me to ask you, so he's obviously not. Where's your son? Happened. Um, he's at home. I've got my daughter with me. Oh, though. hello. <laughs> hello again. Oh, ooh, hello. Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I think I've, apparently they're very popular. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I'll tell him to look out for All right, them. yeah. Right, thank, thank you. Thank you. Anyone uh, else? Anyone yes, else? there's a hand up there. Hey. Um, have you got plans to make another Cornetto trilogy? Uh, and who coined that term? Is that something that you knew about before you made the three films? Uh, no, I think that was... Uh, I, I did know, but now I can't remember. It was a journalist uh, who who likened it to the uh, Christoph. Yeah, three three colors trilogy. Three yeah. colors trilogy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was a journalist who did that. It wasn't me. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't me. you. It wasn't me. It was a sub. <laughs> it was a sub journalist. Um, no, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we, we won't do another Cornetto trilogy. That's done. It will be something different, you know, and it, it may not be a trilogy. It could be one film, you know, it could be film, film, film. It, I, I don't know, you know. It could be an octology. Is that a thing? That's a thing. Is, 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 it? is now. All right, there we go. We're going to do an octology. We're going to do films. the Solero octology. <laughs> we got, is this the last question? Is that telling us? Uh, it's telling us the last question. Should we, but uh, anyone else? Or should we go hand, back to Luke for the last one? There was a hand floating. There was a gentleman. Okay. Who, yes, thank you. Uh, what was it like on Doctor Who when you played Santa Claus? It was it was fantastic, you know. It, um, it wasn't as it, it it felt like doing hyperdrive again. You know, it's not you go down there and you think it's you know it's the world's was it the, is it the most popular show? It's yeah, it's one of them. Definitely. You know, you'd yeah. imagine the world's most mm. popular show. Yeah. Everyone would be running about on segways and mm. you'd be eating you know, white oranges and they'll be... <laughs> no, no, I'm not sure that's a thing, but, you know, <laughs> it, it just felt like you were in a shed in Cardiff making a TV show, and it was kind of fantastic because of that, you know. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the world's biggest Doctor Who fan. I mean, I only started to get, um, you know, interested again after Matt Smith yeah, yeah. took over and, and now Peter, that I'm really into this series. Um, but to have him show me around his own TARDIS. It was just me and him. <laughs> it was kind of amazing, you know. Put your hand in there. <laughs> so that's now melding with your mind. <laughs> and so on, you know. It kind of, it was great. It was fantastic. It was wow. a lot of fun. And the first time you saw yourself as, uh, as, as Father Christmas? Yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, that uh, was boot, white boot polish. <laughs> Seriously, because really? I had my own beard. And 
I couldn't cut it because I was already doing Huntsman. What was I doing? I was doing something which needed my beard. Okay. And so they decided just to color it white every day. <laughs> so there was like four or five different suits. Right. But when I wasn't shooting, I had to walk around like this to make sure none of it went on the... <laughs> Went on the red suit. And presumably filming it in, what, July, June, July, the scorching hot summer? Yeah, really, really hot, yeah. dressed as Santa <laughs> in a giant beard. That's why being a professional liar, being an actor, comes in handy yeah. at these things. Uh, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Show. Thank you so much thank for coming. You. Nick Frost, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, mate.